If you have the handout sheets that we handed out this morning, I invite you to turn to them. Otherwise, if you have your Bible or if you use it on an app on your phone, I encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. And I'd like to begin by saying parables are Jesus' stories that the way I was always taught them, I really like the definition, they're earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. I don't know that I've ever heard an explanation that is better than that. They're little earthly stories that give us some kind of sense of God and what it means to be a person of faith. Matthew chapter 13 is an important chapter because a lot of times we call it the parable chapter because there are so many parables of Jesus in Matthew 13. Now, they're not all there, but many of them are, including the two little short ones that we're looking at this morning. And the ones that we're looking at specifically talk to us about the kingdom of heaven. Now, heaven is an interesting concept because a lot of times we don't really think about heaven. We're so concentrated on life here and everything that's in front of us. But these parables don't just talk about heaven as a place, but about the kingdom of heaven. So I'd like to start by just thinking of how we talk about heaven in everyday language. I came up with a few phrases. She promised to move heaven and earth to be there for my graduation. Or, here's one I've always liked. They have a match made in heaven. I hope that re describes Regina and myself. For heaven's sake, where did you get an idea like that? See, heaven is not only a place and an understanding of life everlasting, but it's also something that kind of works into our vernacular everyday life. Jesus used the phrase kingdom of heaven. It's interesting, it's only found in Matthew's gospel. Now, we don't know if that's because he only used it the times that gets recorded in Matthew's gospel, or possibly also because Matthew's gospel was written to Jewish believers or people who were Jewish who were hopefully coming to faith in Christ, and because heaven had such an important concept within Old Testament scriptures. But every time that there's a conversation about the kingdom of heaven, it only appears in Matthew's gospel. Elsewhere, you'll find Jesus talking about the kingdom of God or, or also, you know, talking about his heavenly father. It's interesting because when first century, first century followers heard the word kingdom and he talked about kingdom of heaven, many scholars believe that people just got focused on the word kingdom. And what happens is, if you're, and try to put yourself back in the first century, if you're a first century Jewish person living with Rome occupying your country, and you hear this guy talking about another kingdom, you get all excited because you're like, wow, this is great. This is a guy that we can follow who's going to help us get back our country and get those yucky Romans out of here. And so what happened, as we believe, is a lot of people got very disappointed when they realized that not only had he been talking about kingdom, but they realized that they had missed the heaven part. That not only disappointed them, but then, of course, they turned against him and asked for his crucifixion. 
It's one of the reasons why we believe so many people turned against Jesus. Because think about that. You have these high expectations for someone and they don't meet them. What do we do? We get angry with them. Probably the same thing happened with Jesus. But as he was talking, he wasn't just talking about an earthly kingdom. He was talking about the kingdom of heaven. 32 times. 32 times in Scripture. Jesus makes reference to the kingdom of heaven. And he sees it as a place, but he also sees it as something that bursts into our world. And that's where it gets kind of hard. Because if you and I look around, we don't really see the kingdom of heaven all over the place. We should be able to. We should be able to see where God's kingdom is entering into our life, into our church, into our world. But if we're very honest with ourselves, a lot of times what we're looking at doesn't look very much like God's kingdom, does it? It looks like something very different. And we're aware of that. There's a lot of pain and difficulty and suffering in this world. Because what we understand about heaven, and that's why it's important for us as we enter this new year and we talk about these key biblical texts and key biblical concepts to understand what's important in our faith, it's important for us to understand that heaven is important to us as Christians. Yes, it's important as a place that has been promised to us that we will go to heaven, but it's also an understanding that that is where God reigns. God's in complete control. Though when we think of the kingdom of heaven, we think of a place in which there is perfection. In Revelation chapter 21, it starts getting described. As John sees this image and he says, I see a new heaven and a new earth. For the first had passed away. And then he talks about there's no more death, no more pain, there's no more sorrow, there's no more suffering. So we long on the one hand, and in fact the New Testament writers make it clear to us that we're all citizens of heaven. That's our real home. And Peter says we're really nothing more than sojourners going through this life. A lot of times we don't feel like that. A lot of times we feel like this is everything right here. But the reason heaven's important is because that's where our true eternal home is. That's really what we are asked to be residents of and to live accordingly. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, when he is talking about finding the kingdom of heaven, he's really talking about how we should live our life today. And it makes a huge difference when I realize that I'm part of God's kingdom versus when I get my head wrapped around being part of things that are really distorted and messed up in this world. Do you hear the difference? Because as long as I know I'm part of God's kingdom, it helps me get through some of the tough times of everyday life. Because the things of this world definitely are things that will disappoint us. So this morning, we get two short parables, two of the shortest parables. They may be the shortest parables in the scripture. And they're two little parables about the kingdom of heaven. Listen as I read them. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. And Jesus goes on and says, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Interesting little parables, but again it begins with this whole idea of the kingdom of heaven. And the first thing that we need to discover about the kingdom of heaven is it is a model for life on earth. Isn't it good to have a model? Like a template, like a map. Like something that helps us understand how to live life. 
People will say, I don't have an owner's manual for that. Well, in reality, we do because the Scripture gives us an owner's manual of how to live life. And as Jesus points us to the kingdom of heaven and we see how God really wants life to be, we can start seeing where we're out of alignment and how we can bring it into our everyday life. Because remember this, if we look to this world to be our model, we're going to be frustrated. Do you hear me? If we look to this world to be our model for life, we're going to be frustrated because people will disappoint us. Amen? People will disappoint us. Amen? Amen. People will. No matter who we have a relationship with, no matter who we put our trust in, we're going to find the people of this world are going to let us down. And that includes you and me. We're going to let others down also because we're not perfect. That's why seeing God's kingdom and the kingdom of heaven, we're reminded, as C.S. Lewis says, of something amazing, like something incredible that's separate from any of the discouraging things of this world. My father one time sat me down and he talked to me, and this is as political as I'm ever going to get, and it's not very political, trust me. But my father sat me down one time and he said, Stan, I want to tell you what I've learned about elections. And I said, sure. And he shared with me who he had voted for over the years. And he said, what I've learned is that when you come to every election, you're told that this person, if you elect them, is just going to make everything right. And never believe it because they won't. And then you're going to hear other times, if this person gets elected or if this person has been elected, they're just going to destroy everything. And guess what? They won't. He said, people are not that important. But we get so fixated on thinking that people are so important that one person can be a savior or one person, no matter what position it is, whether you're talking from the president to senate to local elections, it's just not that way. And he said, I had to learn time and time and time again in my life that a particular person who I was told was just going to destroy everything came and was gone, and after a while, I didn't even remember who they were. You see, that's the problem with this world. We get ourselves so worked up and fixated on the stuff of this world that that's all we can see. And Jesus says, wait a second, time out. We need to look at the kingdom of heaven. We need to quit trying to think that the stuff of this world is going to satisfy us because it isn't. And so recently, I went back and I did a little bit of research, which is easy to find out there, on how popular presidents have been over the years. And it's interesting, Gallup came over out with an over-under on presidents. Did you know that? It's just like, same thing they do with sports figures. Like, now you can watch a basketball player, and it's not by popularity, but they'll basically tell you how many more tips points the team scores with that person in, or how many less points the team scores in the other team with that particular person in. So they give you like this over underscore. So it's kind of the same way with presidents. They'll be like, okay, if we take polls or find out what their poll ratings were, like if you say 50%, and now say a person has 55% approval and 45% disapproval, they get a plus 10. If you go the other way, if at the end of their presidency and as they're remembered, they're 45% popular, 55% unpopular, they get a negative 10. So I decided to look up William Harrison. 
Now, it's interesting, we probably didn't come to church this morning thinking about William Harrison, but do any of you know anything about him? He's a guy who was only in office for 30 days and he died. And he's got an over-under of plus five. I thought, that's interesting. How do you get a plus five when you only serve for 30 days and you die? But that's how fickle and bizarre we are as human beings. You see, people disappoint, but we try to put them on pedestals or we try to pull them down and tear them down. And Jesus says, stop all of that. Quit making human beings your model of life. Quit making the stuff of this world the things that we think are going to solve it all. And remember that the kingdom of heaven is your model. That's why we pray the prayer that we do each week, the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is done where? In heaven. That's an acknowledgement that there is something we can base our life on. There is perfection. There is God. There is a Savior. There is a place in which we can look to, and when everything is messed up down here, we can say, you know what? I'm not basing it on this. I'm basing it on that, and that's how I'm going to choose to live my life. We pray that God's will gets enacted here more like it is in heaven. The kingdom of heaven gives us something to seek, something better, something positive. Because when we get caught up in our own negativity and our own frustrations and our own fears, it just takes us down. Now, this is not a story about a kingdom of heaven, but it is a story about a model. In our first year of marriage, Regina and I were as I like to say, these two little country bumpkins from Ohio and North Dakota, then moved out here to Massachusetts. We're far away from home, and it was Christmas time. It was beginning of December, and we decided we wanted to get our first Christmas tree. And we drove by on the North Shore a Christmas tree farm, and so we went in and tagged a tree, had a saw, sawed it down, I don't remember how we got it back in our little car, but we did. We got it back to our apartment. And then it came time for one of the greatest fights my wife and I have ever had, trying to put up the Christmas tree when neither of us knew what we were doing. And the stupid little tree kept falling over, and we discovered that it had a crooked trunk that kind of went up like this and like this. And I was getting so frustrated, and I didn't even notice when Regina walked out of the apartment. And all of a sudden, in comes my wife, with a married man who'd been married about four or five years, who was a student at Gordon-Conwell. He came in and he said, I hear you're having problems. I was like, yeah. He said, here, let me fix it. In about a minute, he had the Christmas tree up. He walked out, and I thanked him. And I said to Regina, how did he know that? She said, you were in such a bad mood, I finally realized, hmm, my husband knows nothing about a Christmas tree and how to put them up. But I knew the guy and his wife who lived down the hall from us had been married about five years, so they must have put up a few trees. So I went and had them come down, and I asked him, and he said, oh, yeah, I can get the tree up for you in no time at all. You see, when we get fixated on the stuff around us and we don't get an outside perspective, we can be very frustrated and upset people. That's true with Christmas trees, but it's even more so true with our life. That's why God doesn't want us to base our life on our messed up lives, but on the model of heaven. 
Hear the difference? It's way better than even a guy who's been married a few years who can help a frustrated young seminary student. The kingdom of heaven is important because it becomes our model. It becomes what we look to when we things, see things messed up. And so we go back to the scriptures and we say, how does God want it to be? How does our heavenly father expect life to be? How does Jesus teach us to live? Because all of that is the kingdom of heaven, which we pray then becomes more and more into our life. And then we get into these wonderful little parables and we discover that in the first parable, when we discover that, when we discover our relationship with Christ, when we finally come to the understanding that I can't do it alone, but I need a Savior who died for me and I accept him into my life, I accept the forgiveness that he offers to me and I'm no longer just bound by the things of this world and the kingdom of this world, but I'm now part of the kingdom of heaven, we discover that it gives us joy. It's like discovering a buried treasure. So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered it up. He was so excited that then in his joy, he goes and he sells everything he has to buy the, the field. In the first century, that's something that would have made sense to people because they would have been familiar with the idea of burying treasure in the field. Because in the first century, they didn't have banks like they have today. And therefore, if you had something really valuable, sometimes what people would take is they'd take their valuables and they would literally bury them in a field so that they were safe and secure. Jesus talks about this when he talks about the talents and the guy who has money that's given to him by his boss and what the boss says to him is, why did you do nothing more then take that treasure and bury it in the field. Then one who would find buried treasure would get to keep it. It would be theirs. So if you own property and you found buried treasure that somebody forgot was there, that'd be your buried treasure. But if somebody else had buried it and had kept it for their safekeeping, but now if you were the one who owned it, ta-da! Like hitting the lottery. And Jesus says people who would ever have that experience would be filled with joy. Finding a buried treasure, however, would only give temporary joy. Because everything other than a relationship with God will eventually disappoint us. But when we have that aha moment, or those aha moments in our life, when we realize things are tough, but it's okay because I'm part of the kingdom of heaven. Or we say goodbye to a loved one or a friend and we say... It's hard and it's difficult, but you know what? I get to see them again because we're part of the kingdom of heaven. Or we struggle with something we've done in our life and we say, I just can't believe I... And at that moment, we're aware, wow, I found the kingdom of heaven. God forgives me. I get to start over. It goes, it's like the joy we find in finding every buried treasure. The word Jesus uses here is the word kara. It's a joy that never disappoints. It's a joy that's described elsewhere in the scriptures as the angels, when they're presenting the birth of Jesus, they say, I give you good news of great joy, something that'll make you happy forever. When Jesus sends out the 72, they go out and they come back with joy, saying, wow, we're following and praying and doing the right thing, and even the demons are obeying. And then we're told that in heaven, the angels have joy whenever a person repents here on this earth. So what Jesus wants us to understand 
is when we get wrapped up and caught up with all the things of this world and we get frustrated with all of that, if we can get our head back to looking at God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, and realize where our citizenship is, we will have an eternal joy. How many times do we get ourselves all upset, all frustrated, all how can this be happening? And Jesus says it's all where our focus is. It's all what we're focusing on at that point. I remember when I was a freshman in college, and one night I had the crisis of faith that probably a lot of college students have, being away from home. And I went out that night, and I knelt, and I gave my life to Christ, and I said, I'm yours. And the next day, I woke up, and I had a joy that I hadn't had before. And I thought, I'm going to go buy myself a Bible. And I got my little car, a little Mazda, and I drove it down to the Christian bookstore, and I still remember the little brown Bible that I bought, and I was filled with joy over the fact that I could read God's Word. And I started reading, and it started making sense to me. And I was so excited that I started a Bible study on my dorm floor. Because what I had, I wanted to share with others. See, when we discover the kingdom of heaven, that's what happens to us. When we understand God's kingdom, and we understand we're part of it, no pastor has to tell us to read the Bible. We want to read the Bible because we're part of God's kingdom, and we want to get to know what God has to say to us. And we don't have to be told, go share your faith with someone else. So as we talk about pray for three, invite two, and bring one, nobody has to tell us to do that because it comes from within. Because we realize that everybody has all this stuff of this world that disappoints them the way it disappoints us, and therefore we're able to share it with others. Now there's many other times in my life when I've experienced the kingdom of heaven in a very meaningful way, but one of them was as my parents were getting older, and I sat down with each of them, and I asked them the question that I really wanted to know from my mom and dad. Are you afraid to die? I asked each of them straight out. Are you afraid to die? It was awesome experience with both my parents. And they both looked at me and said, absolutely not. I said, you do look forward to it. And they said, each of them, no, I don't necessarily look forward to it. I like life here. But and my mom said, you know, something's got to take me out of this cruel, cruel world. And I realized in my relationship with my mom and dad, they had as much certainty of going to heaven as I have that they loved me and that I loved them. Because when we discover the kingdom of heaven, it brings us joy. It makes us happy. It gives us an eternal peace and satisfaction beyond anything that this world can give to us. Both my mom and my dad knew Jesus and joy of the kingdom of heaven. That's what I pray for my congregation. I pray that you know how much God loves you and, and the discovering that relationship with Jesus and that relationship with God's kingdom that when the world and the things of this world and the people of the world frustrate you and let you down, you can go back and say, but you know what? I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm my heavenly father's child and a beloved kid who's cared for. Because not only does the kingdom of heaven give us a model of how to live our life and give us joy in discovering a buried treasure and something that is beyond anything that we can imagine, but it also gives us a satisfaction. How many things in this world don't satisfy? 
How many times do we buy something that's going to make our life better only to find it makes our life worse? It's a common occurrence. Advertisers make all their living on telling us that we need stuff that we don't need and we spend money we don't have to impress people that don't matter. And all the while, we go away so dissatisfied. And then Jesus says in verses 45 and 46, but that's not how it is in the kingdom of heaven. Because the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search for fine pearls, who in finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Pearls were incredibly valuable in Jesus' time because they didn't have synthetic pearls like we have today. So the only way you could have a pearl is if you were fortunate enough to open up that clam and inside it was a pearl. Only this time, Jesus says, the person, this merchant, who's in the pearl trading business, doesn't just find a pearl, he finds a pearl of all pearls. The pearl that will always satisfy. And so he describes this merchant with this one pearl that's worth more than everything else. And he says he discovers that it's worth getting rid of all the other pearls that he has just to get this one. He goes, there you go. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. Think of all the stuff that matters to you in life. Think of everything that we value and we treasure. Take it all together and it can't compare to our relationship with God. Because our relationship with God and our relationship with heaven is not just for this world, it's for eternity. That's why guys like Jim Elliott went out as missionaries to Ecuador. And as a missionary, he was killed. And people grieved for him. And his wife said, you know, my husband had a way of living his life. And so Elizabeth Elliot told us what Jim Elliot's philosophy on life was. And she said, my husband used to say, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot understood the kingdom of heaven. He knew that everything he had in this life, as valuable as it was and as important as it was, if he put it all together, couldn't compare to his relationship with God and being part of the kingdom of heaven. We focus so much on what doesn't matter, Jesus wants us to see what does matter. We focus on the stuff that bothers us and the people that let us down and the things that we buy that really didn't do what we want. I still remember being the kid who had this one football game I just couldn't wait to get. This was way before the days of video games. One of those ones that vibrated. Any guys remember those? Only this one didn't only vibrate. It also had one little guy that you could move around. And I could play football with someone else. And by Christmas night, it had broken. And I was so disappointed. Because for months, I thought this football game was going to change my life. But football games and little vibrating boards don't satisfy us, but the kingdom of heaven does. Your relationship with Jesus will. It was 1971 in the little high school that we were in. And our team had won a state championship. And so that year for our athletic banquet, they invited a professional football player, Dave Osborne a name that none of you probably know, but he played for the Minnesota Vikings. And that was big talk in my little town because we had less than 500 people who lived in Weinmere, North Dakota. And a big football player was going to come and he was going to talk. And everybody was hanging on every word to hear what Dave Osborne had to say. I remember one father. I still remember. 
He stood up and he raised his hand. He said, Mr. Osborne, what can I do to help my son prepare to be an NFL player? Even as a little sixth grader, I thought, that is a really stupid question. But people were looking for satisfaction and wisdom from a professional football player on how to understand something that they couldn't otherwise understand. I use it for a different reason. If we think a NFL player can change our life and change our perspective, how much more can God and his kingdom? How much more can we understand that we get better than a Minnesota Viking to come talk to us? We have Scripture. Jesus himself who wants to guide us and give us personal satisfaction every day of our life and eternal satisfaction on how to live our lives, not only thou, but for all eternity. Yes, Jesus gives us more than a personal, professional advice. He gives us the kingdom of heaven. And God's willingness to come into our life and realize that all the stuff that doesn't satisfy us still won't satisfy us if we think tomorrow it will. But when we get our focus on the kingdom of heaven, it's better than finding a treasure in the field and the most valuable pearl. Which is why this morning I call my sermon The Fork. Because I still love the little thing that I read years ago in Guideposts. And I'm going to invite Satina to come forward because she's got a treasure chest for us this morning. And after I read the little saying, I'm going to invite Kayleen to come first and then she'll start playing and then we will sing our closing song. And I'm going to invite you to come forward and get a fork, but first I want to tell you why. There's a woman who had been diagnosed with a terminal illness and been given three months to live. As she was getting her things in order, she contacted her pastor and had him come to her house to discuss certain aspects of her final wishes. She told him which song she wanted sung at the funeral. Now, I've been through that many times with people where they do that. Which scriptures she would like read and which outfit she was even going to wear. Everything was in order, and the pastor was preparing to leave when the woman said, Oh, wait, there's one more thing. What's that, came the pastor's reply. This is very important, she said. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. The pastor stood there looking at her, but he didn't know what to say. That surprises you, doesn't it, she asked. Well, to be honest, I'm puzzled by the request. The woman explained the following, In all my years of attending church dinners, I always remember that when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over to me and say, Keep the fork. It was my favorite part because I knew something better was coming. Something like velvety chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie. Something wonderful. Something with substance. So I want people to see me there in my casket with a fork in my right hand, and I want them to ask, what's with the fork? And I want you to tell them, keep the fork. The best is yes to come. I invite you to come forward as we close our service and we'll sing our final song to remind ourselves what really matters, which is the kingdom of heaven. 
And whether we're talking about today finding God's kingdom more in our life or life everlasting, please remember, in the kingdom of heaven, the best is yet to come.